Welcome to Hunt and Land. If you like to stay up to date on the best hunting and land management strategies, land market dynamics, and what your land is worth, this is the podcast for you. Hey, Joe, who's bringing us the show this week? Clint, this week's show is brought to us by Alabama Ag Credit. Buying rural property is not the same as buying in town. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, give our friends at Alabama Ag Credit a call. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, they can help you with everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Because sometimes natural resources need financial resources. And while some lenders don't get it, they do. Learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com. Clint, I'm pretty excited about the show this week because uh, turkey season's over with. And that means a lot of guys are going to be trying to get some things done on their property as we head into the summer. Because, man, it's going to get hot here pretty soon. Turkey season was a blast for me. I had a, I have a great season, lots of good hunts. How'd it go for you? How'd y'all wrap it up? It was great. I ended up with three turkey, had a few other opportunities that I screwed up, uh, but it was my first season as a, a solo caller and a hunter. I've hunted turkeys before, but I've always been with somebody better than me. And uh, this year, I, every turkey I shot, I, I called in myself and for most of them had my six-year-old with me. So it was a great season. Yeah, that's awesome. You guys got any big off-season projects in the work? Well, every time we do one of these shows, I get more and more. So right now we're looking in the summertime planning uh, and then looking forward to learning what we what we hear today and, and applying those as well. Well, we talked a lot in the past about planning, you know, planning in the spring for summer forage and uh, and, and what to feed your deer to attract more deer um, during hunting season. But what we really haven't covered yet is is a supplemental feeding program uh, and really how to grow big bucks on your property. Uh, and do it in a way that's cost effective because I mean, it's not, it's not a cheap endeavor, but it can be done economically uh, and within a budget. And uh, so on this week's show, we're going to be sitting down with Stephen Wisdom and Grip Feed Company. Stephen has fed over 1000 tons of supplemental food in 2019 for whitetail deer. So he knows a, knows a thing or two, Clint, about some of the questions we get most often, which is things like, what's the best protein for deer antler growth? People also want to know about supplements for deer antler growth. And then they want to know the best things to feed for deer antler growth, whether that be, you know, forage, uh, natural forage, or planted forage, or even just supplemental feeding, like what we're going to talk about today. So Stephen, welcome to Hunting Land, man. I, I want you first to tell us about uh, Grip Feed Company and and how in the world you got to where you were selling a thousand tons of, of food for whitetail deer. That's a lot of daggum feed. Well, hey guys, thanks for having me on. And and yeah, it, it is actually a kind of a crazy story of, of how we started and how we've got, got there because the, the running joke around uh, the shop and even amongst our customers is in this day and age, everybody hears about something and even your listeners right now are probably Googling grip feed company and they won't find it. And so it has been a completely word of mouth company in its growth, but I've been in the outdoor industry my entire career, an avid, passionate outdoorsman. And over the years, I've, I've developed a lot of products and really a lot of attractants for other hunting companies, you know, name brand companies like Primos or, or Tinks and things of that nature. And then and along the way, I kept learning things that I, I always just kind of filed away and said, you know, if I ever start a feed company, that would work really well. And I just kind of filed it away because I always talked myself out of it because the feed game is a commodity game. It is a bulk play. And I just, man, I don't, do I want to be in that game? Do I want to be in the game of pennies matter and, 
and you got to really buy and move a lot of material to make any money. But ultimately, after about 12 years of developing attractants and other types of supplements, mineral supplements and, and things of that nature for other companies, we decided that we, we had a really cool idea that we thought would work very well from a practical standpoint. And, you know, that's a, a, a lot of times I, I want people to know right out the gate that, you know, Stephen Wisdom, the owner of a group feed company, he is not a biologist. He is not a nutritionist. I am not a land man, manager prof- professional, but I am an avid outdoorsman who has been in the outdoor industry his entire career, has researched a lot of things and has developed a lot of things for a lot of people. And we just took a very practical approach to our feed mix that we thought would do extraordinary things for our customers. And now three years into it, it really is. Um, Our customers are very pleased with the results. So Stephen, in feeding that much supplemental feed, I imagine you work with a, a lot of landowners who are wanting to improve their deer herd. You know, a question, I, I work with a lot of landowners who they don't own huge acreages, you know, a lot of 30, 40, 80 acre parcels, but they still love to hunt and they'd like to see their hunting improve, or, or at least from a standpoint of having bigger deer, bigger antlered deer, bigger bodied deer. When you go into a supplemental feeding plan, what do you feel like is enough acreage for someone to consider feeding on? Where, where can they make a difference? If you have land that has a deer on it, then that's enough. I mean, if there is a deer there to feed, it's enough. And, and, and I know that kind of sounds like a joke, but I'm serious. Like I am a big fan and a big believer that you can grow a dominant buck, a big buck, on a small piece of property. And so I always try to help guys feel comfortable about a feeding program, whether they have 90 acres or 5,000 acres. Because the fact of the matter is, is if, if you have habitat, if you've got food, cover, water, and for a buck standpoint, doe, females, for him to breed come the rut, he's happy. And so, I mean, especially an old mature buck, he, he will very, very much settle in his home front, his place. I mean, he'll have his bedroom and his kitchen and his living room. I mean, he's not going to travel far once he matures and once he's established his, his dominance in that given area and, you know, having, uh, you know, doe to breed. And so I, I don't think uh, you should be as focused on how big a lane you have, just more focused on are the deer that I have receiving the amount of intake that it takes for them to truly uh, live out their genetic potential? Because whether you have 90 acres or again, 2,500 acres, there's still an opportunity for you to have a deer on your property that has a significant genetic potential. And what I mean by that term is the opportunity to grow big deer. I mean, you know, there it's natural, like no matter how great I wanted to play in NFL. I wasn't getting big enough to do get there. I mean, and I ate a lot. And so the genetic potential of me being big and strong and fast and everything it takes, it just wasn't there, even though I was giving it all I had back when I played college football. And so you may have deer on your property that never will truly be giant, but you don't know that till you feed them. 
but you also just because you have a small piece of property doesn't mean you don't have a buck or even a doe go back to what we have talked about before about a doe having 51% of the genetic potential of your buck in, inside of it, that you don't have the deer there to grow big deer. You just need to feed them. And I'm not talking about feeding them corn. I'm talking about feed them. And so small property, big property, it's all about what I call meeting a threshold and, and exceeding it. So, you know, I always encourage guys who reach out to me and want to start a program is I tell them, look, if you want to feed your deer, I may not be the guy for you, but if you want to grow your deer, I can help you because we are going to not just give them what they need to survive. We are going to give them what they need to thrive. And I know that sounds like a sales pitch, but that's our mentality is we're going to give them more than they need. And that's where you really begin to see and experience that potential that you might have on your property. Stephen, how much feed does the landowner need to supplement with? What kind of metric are we looking here? Is it pounds per acre or, or what is it? I use a particular breakdown that uh, I developed after, you know, researching a lot, reading a lot. You know, I may not be a biologist or nutritionist, but I've done my homework. So, and then based off of just, again, the practical consumption rates that I've seen among all of my customers and the amount of land they have and, and basically the model that we've built is uh, anything over a thousand acres you need to have a feeding site that every 300 acres every 250 to 300 acres and a lot of times I say 300 because you know we're just trying to be sensitive to people's budgets and so and so if you're looking at that then you're seeing you know for a thousand acre property you're saying you're seeing three to four feeding sites. I always ca caveat that with if you have a major geographical change in your property or a railroad track or or a river or a creek, a big creek uh, runs through it, which again, deer will cross all of those. But deer are just as lazy as we are. They're, they they want to travel the path of least resistance. And so if you have a, a big topography change, a big, huge bottom versus a big ridge or something, then I may add one to it, to a isolated area, an area that maybe is on the opposite side of a big swamp that it's isolated. It's over there by itself. And so there's not necessarily a lot of tr travel corridors through there, but for the most part, 300, uh, a feeding site every 300 acres and under a thousand acres then, you know, you really kind of start focusing on the topography, the travel corridors, uh, like a 200-acre piece of property, which you can hold big deer there. You can have a great property with 200 acres. You, you probably only need one feeding site unless, again, there's a big change or an isolated area, an area that's on the backside of a big ridge or or, you know, one thing I also say about smaller properties and, and even, even bigger properties is considering even if your property only needs one feeding site, uh, having a supplement, a supplemental site, a secondary site for your submissive deer. So in the world of feeding and feeding sites, those feeding sites, they're going to be dominated by uh, or controlled by the dominant buck and dominant doe in the area. They're, they're really going to control who gets to eat. I and mean, believe it or not, it happens. And so a lot of times you'll have the dominant deer up there eating and you'll see your submissive deer back um, on the backside of the camera. Say you got a camera on it over there standing and waiting to feed and they're not getting a chance to eat. 
and the unfortunate part about that, not to go off on a tangent here, but the unfortunate part about that is during the growing season when these bucks are in bachelor group, the fact is even though that submissive deer is submissive and, and not getting to eat, he has to wait his turn, he still wants to be with the dominant deer. And so when, they, or when they're through eating and leave, he wants to stay with them. He's not going to come in there and eat and lose the chance of being a part of the group. And so a lot of times the submissive deer won't get to eat, but just because he's submissive doesn't mean he doesn't have genetic potential. And so smaller plots, maybe consider a secondary site just for that reason to get more of your deer eating that just might have a genetic potential in them and they need that nutrition. And then I'm a fan of, you know, say, uh, you know, you got a thousand acres, you got four feeding sites, you know, on a thousand acres. And I always tell people, look, if you can afford, you know, four to 600 pound feeder, you know, a feeder that will hold 500 pounds, that's the best way to go because a lot of people's hunting properties, they're not there all the time. And I feel like based off what we have seen over the years, that on any given piece of property, unless their deer density is super high, unless you have a lot of deer, you haven't done a very good job harvesting your does, which a lot of people struggle with that. They don't, they just want to shoot bucks and they don't realize if you really want to, if you really want to grow a big deer on your property, guys, you have to shoot some of the doe. You got too many mouths you're feeding, you're trying to feed and you're never going to do that unless you have an outrageous feed bill. So you got to be careful about that. So unless you have a really high deer density, that 500 pounds, you know, you probably, you pro again, on this is on a thousand acres and above that five or 600 pounds at first will probably last you about a month. And so you're thinking I, I can fill my feeders once a month. I can come up with that kind of time. I could get down to my property once a month. And, and look, if you're not getting down to your property once a month, you're probably not going to grow a big deer anyway. So if you're not investing time in your property, you're going to get what you get, right? You're going to get what you put in. And, but, but I like to think about that. I like to make sure that I'm making it easy. So can you buy a bunch of 200 pound feeders? Yes, but they're going to suck them dry pretty quick. And you're just going to have that much manpower. So I think like a thousand acre property, uh, again, just based off of what we see around Alabama and into Georgia, Tennessee, a thousand acre property, you're probably going to go through a ton of feed a month. So a pallet, 2000 pounds of feed on three to four feeding sites is a pretty average consumption rate. And so you kind of go up from there. If you're talking about, you know, a smaller acreage, uh, say you got a guy that's got a farm that's 200 to 300 acres and he wants to engage in supplemental feeding. You mentioned having that secondary site for those submissive deer. And would you still have that 500 pound feeder in one area and fill that thing up? Or would you then split it up and say, look, if I only need say 500 pounds of feed per 300 acres, you know, would you just have two 250 pound feeders on that 300 acres? Yeah. I mean, and again, I, I leveraged that with the two, the two things I talked about, or one of them I talked about, which is I'm a fan of a secondary site because mm -hmm. I have seen submissive deer blow up and become the dominant buck simply because they got to eat. So I'm a, I'm a fan of that. But the other element when you, when you start talking about smaller plots, if you think about it, probably logically is most people who own smaller pieces of land, they live closer to it. And when we own larger pieces of land or have large leases, 
we usually travel if you think about it. And so if you're close to your property and you're down there often, then you can get away with doing, you know, maybe two or three small sites. Uh, you know, what I mean by small is 200 pound feeders where you can go fill them up. Again, every property is different because what you're really trying to establish is understanding the characteristics of your buck herd. If you're, if you're trophy hunting, right? If you're trying to grow big deer, you know, you're trying to understand the dynamic of the travel corridors and the social dynamic of the bucks that are on your property. And so you, you, may, you may need three sites on 200 acres, three small sites on two, 200 acres. One, because of the way it's geographically located. And two, there may be two multiple social groups, multiple bachelor groups kind of traveling through during the growing season. And you want to really kind of understand and, and establish how to best capture those deer and keep those deer as close to your property. So the smaller properties, it's, it's harder to give a template. It's, it's harder to give a, here's how everybody does it because you actually see a bigger diversity in how deer behave and how people can set up a smaller property versus a bigger property. I, I tend to, once we get on smaller properties, I tend to encourage more feeding sites. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go through more feed unless again, you have deer density issues or your deer are very malnourished. So a lot of times deer are severely malnourished and you don't even know it. And the reason I always know, I got one guy who he has, and this is an outlier. So don't, you know, don't let your listeners get freaked out about this, this consumption rate because it, this consumption rate could break the bank, but he has, he has 400 acres. They're consuming 500 pounds of feed a week. Oh man. And so he, he that, that's an accelerated consumption rate, but I could almost guarantee that if I went down to his property, his deer would be very malnourished and they're, mm. and, and again, go back to our feed. Look, our, our feed, it is what it is because we wanted to go above and beyond, right? We, we, like we built a really good feed with a lot of nutrition in it. And the reality of our feed, which sometimes scares people is when they start to eat our feed, they know that it is what they need. They know that, man, this is the best stuff I've ever had. This is nothing like the corn I've been eating or nothing like the, the cardboard pellet that they've been feeding me man, this stuff's awesome. It's got the fat, it's got everything I need and their consumption rates probably going to be accelerated at first. So don't let that freak you out. If you're implementing a feed program that if the consumption rate's super high in the beginning and you know, all of a sudden your budget's going crazy, it's once these deer really get back to a healthier state, the consumption rate will probably lower uh, as long as, and here's the kicker to, to long-term feeding programs, as long as you continue to harvest your deer, because again, Every year, there's a second generation, third generation deer on that feeder because that fawn, all it did was watch his mama eat out of that feeder. Where do you think that fawn's going to eat when it can reach at that feeder? The next year, you're just you're doubling and tripling the mouse on a feeder year after year if you're not harvesting deer, and you will see your feed bill increase year after year. Now, some people want that because they don't feel like they have enough deer. And so, again, there's no right answer, but that's definitely stuff to look for when it comes to, man, how much do I feed? What, what's, what's a usage rate? And look, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of times people are like, man, that's, they're just eating too much. And we encourage them, look, fill your feeder up. When it's empty, it's empty. And then refill it up the next month or the next pe period, like create a budget and follow it. Cause the, because that's the next best thing to just having feed in a feeder. 
Well, and you know, that's you an know, important point that time. you important that you make that point because I think if you've got a dominant deer, most likely if you fill a feeder and it's gone 15 days in, into the month, most likely the dominant deer consume the majority of that, of that mm-hmm. feed as opposed mm-hmm. to your less dominant. And so it's kind of a, I guess it kind of naturally sorts itself out to some extent. It's, it, mm-hmm. it's not, it doesn't mean you have to inundate their, them with feed. You feed what you can feed and, and then it, you know if your deer density is so high that you're running out of feed that fast, you probably need to mm-hmm. do some work during the season to try to get that deer density down. That's right. And how long does it take before you start seeing some a noticeable change? Clint, that's, that's an interesting question that what I'm about to say, I cannot prove, but it's just the reality of what I've seen. Because going into this, man, I did a lot of research. And when you do a lot of research, you, you see you need to have a feeding program and you start seeing results after three years, which a lot of people are like, man, three years, dang, that's a long time. But we are three years into this now. And again, I can't prove this, but we believe if you'll buy in, you'll put feed in your feeders, you'll keep feeding your feeders, you will see a change. Like my guys who started feeding on March 1 of this year, they will see a significant difference in their deer herd this year. They will see it, whether it's in the health of their deer, whether it's in their body weight and or antler. I mean, I have a perfect example. I, I can't prove this, but even on the property that we have, we killed a 163 and five eights off our property uh, two years ago. And it was seven years old. Now we started feeding that deer when it was six. Now it was a big deer when we started feeding it at six, but between six and seven, which most people would say, ah, that deer's probably heading its way back down we added at least 18 inches on that deer in one year. And the reason we know that is because of the splits and the kicker that it gained between six and seven once it's on our feeding program. Now, again, I can't prove that my feeding program is what caused its G2s to split and what caused this big eight inch kicker to uh, come out, but it was the reality of the situation. It was the eye test of the situation. And, you know, fast forward three years and, and, and several hundred customers, I get the same stories over and over. Man, we, we're, man, our deer are so healthy this year. Their, their coats are beautiful. And, and man, we've got, we, we was chasing this one big buck this year. We're chasing four big bucks, you know? So again, we haven't done enough scientific uh, data to have, to be able to make claims, but I am a big believer that if you will invest in a feeding program and a good feeding program, and you'll stick to it, and you keep feeding your feeders, not let the feeders run dry. Because look, here's the reality is you only have about 200 days to grow the antlers in any given year. If you'll stay on top of it, you will see results, a level of results with our feed in the first year. Now, I'm not going to give you a guarantee on that because I can't prove that, but it's just what I've seen after hundreds of properties. You know, we sold over a thousand tons of feed, 2 million pounds of feed last year. And every one of those clients are back with me and they are happy as ever. And they are looking forward to this year. So again, not to, not to make that sound like a sales pitch guys, cause that's not my goal today. My goal is just to educate the guys on what a feeding program looks like. And even more so what a potentially successful feeding program looks like. That's my goal. But the reality is, is we believe with our feed, you will see a level of 
as you called it, Clint, an ROI, return on investment, because it is an investment in the first year. Well, a lot of guys want to, you know, have the misconception that the majority of the antler growth happens in one particular month. And it sounds like what I'm hearing you say is that really it's, it's got to be done from the minute they drop their antlers. And so but when it comes to that, though, is there a particular focal point that you feel is more important in the off season? And then what about as we get into the season? So a deer are not growing their antlers once they, once they harden, once they shed their velvet, they're done growing. But does what happens to them during the season, during the hunting season and, and when they're hard antlered affect their next year's growth? Absolutely. And I, I'm going to answer that question backwards because it, it, it is, it's a reason why we strongly suggest to feed year round. Uh, you don't have to feed the same feed. We offer a different feed in the winter than we do in the spring. But yes, because antler growth is a byproduct of the deer's health, its body, its condition of its body. And once its body is healthy and where it needs to be to not to live, to survive and not die, then for a buck, it will, can, it will begin to produce antlers. And so what we try to get people to understand, if you will keep your bucks as healthy as possible through the winter and through the rut, now they're going to, they're, they're going to run themselves down. But if you will try to do everything you can to keep their body weight on and their energy levels high during the winter, the day they drop their antler. So the day a deer drops its antler, it's at its pretty unhealthy state. Its testosterone is, is it's, it's bottomed out and that's what's caused it to lose its antler. And that's technically day one of this 200 day cycle I'm talking about. The quicker you can have your deer healthy again, the faster it will begin to really produce antler growth. So again, we approach it from a practical standpoint. If I can keep that deer healthy during the season, keep him fat, keep him, you know, keep him not run down, even during the rut, you know, the rut's really a short period. Uh, and it's overall, you now there's a setup and kind of a, a come off there, but, but our, our thought is keep them healthy, get them healthier sooner than what most people do. And what I mean by that is, let's just take, I use March one as a, as a, as a kind of a key, but every, everywhere is different depending on when you're going to drop your antlers in greater Alabama. Most deer start dropping their antlers in mid March. Well, I'm tell, telling my customers, look, start two weeks before your deer are going to drop their antlers. And some of them, again, some of them drop in February, early March. It's, it's different. Some of them drop in late March. If, if there's a doe still in heat, the buck is not going to drop its antlers until the last doe is not in heat. I tell my guys, start two weeks before you think your, your deer are going to drop their antlers to begin to get that deer healthy again so that it can maximize day one, day two, day 10, and not begin to just get its nutrition on day 60 of the 200 days, which is where 60 to 75 days into growing season is when the misconception happens. I need to start feeding my deer. So I always tell people the best day to start feeding your deer, or I, well, I say this, I say the second best day to start feeding your deer is today. If you're not feeding your deer now, today's the second best day. The very first best day is two weeks before they drop their antlers. And so we got to realize that the off season and the early season is just as important because what happens is, and here's my goal for if a guy has a deer on March one of a year buck, that weighs, let's just say 160 pounds. And you grow that deer up to 190 pounds. These are, these are fictitious numbers, 190 pounds. And man, he's got a great rack, 190 pounds, awesome. 
and then you stop feeding or, or you don't really focus on getting him what he needs through the winter and he runs himself back down to 150 pounds well you're starting over again to try to get back to that 190 versus he started at 160 you got him in 190 he dropped back down to 170 versus 150 and you're that much more ahead in his next year of growth right and so there's a stair step if you can keep these deer healthy they start back over on march one bigger and better than they did the last March one. And that's where you really start winning in a feed program. So many people feed in the summer. So many people feed in July, which in July, again, this is in greater Alabama, this region, there is an accelerated growth process in July. You do see the deer's antlers to really start to explode. So July is important, but March, April, May are, are just as important. I mean, I use this thing, look, if you and I, Joe, me and you are going to train for a, a marathon or triathlon and you, Joe, you train for 200 days and I train for a hundred days, half the time, who's going to win? Who's going to outperform the other person? And it's the same thing with deer. You, you are, it's the same thing with deer. Right. If you're only feeding your deer half of its potential growing season. You're going to get what you get. Steven, you know, you obviously you sell supplemental feed and you recommend a supplemental feeding program. But do you recommend people throw away the idea of planting, planting forage? Uh, is, there a, is there a situation where you just, look, supplemental feed is all you need? Absolutely not. And the reason is, is because the psychological state of a deer. I mean, a deer is a forager. It's a browser. It's what it was created to do. And just like t- take, for example, there's, there's lots of studies in the, in the horse industry, the sh- competitive horse into the show horses and, and the race horses. So there's lots of studies in, and it's a fly study. They study uh, horses that have a lot of flies around them versus not. The horses that do not have a lot of flies around this, I'm gonna come full circle here. They perform significantly better than the ones that have flies because the flies stress the horse out. The horse is stressed. And the horses that are, live a life of less stress, they blow the rest of them away. So to take that over into the deer world where a deer's natural psychological state is to be a browser, a forager. You take that away, that deer, is, it's, not, it's not in a, the level of stress environment you want them in to perform. That's why, I mean, a lot of deer breeders, they struggle with keeping deer alive because of the level of stress in the environment of a deer pen. And so breeders have to be very careful about what they feed their deer and what type of environment they create within their pen to see the most return on their investment of breeding because there's a psychological factor. I am a big supporter of planting. Heck, planting is, I mean, that's part of the, the, the greatness of being an outdoorsman, right? That's part of the, the joy of owning a land is, is getting to work the land. And I, I, would, I would never want to take that away. But a supplement feed pro- program does offer some benefits. It offers some security. So, you know, of, you know, you plant your fields and, you know, you don't hit it right and a drought sets in, like that's kind of happened the last two years in Alabama. And man, and and the seed doesn't take man. You just you just threw that money out, or or you know, I you see a lot of times if this happens a lot is you plant it 
and it rains and it's awesome, but it's raining and it stays wet and you can't ever get in there and spray your fields and what you plant gets overtaken by weeds and it chokes it all out and you lose your crop. Supplement feeding, especially our supplement feeding, because we're using whole grains, we're using that soybean and that, that peanut, that good stuff. It's kind of a, a security blanket. There's more controllables. There's more guarantees to what we're offering than just planning. And the big thing about planning that so many people overlook is planning all the different things you plant are great. They're wonderful. Again, there's a lot of science behind it. There's a lot of nutrition nutritionists who have given those suggestions, a lot of biology there. Like I'm not saying it's wrong, but the fact of the matter is, is most of those plants are only about 55 to 60% digestible. Like that plant that they're eating, 40 to 50% of it is going out the rear end of a deer. They can't even process it. Whereas our feed actually, uh, and it's called, it's a term called TDN, total digestible nutrition. That's the amount of the food that the deer can actually process and use. And most forage, most, you know, most, you know, woody forage, like natural forage and most planted green fields of what, whatever type are only about 50 to 60% digestible where our feed is 80. It tested out at 80% digestible. So they're, they're able to use 80% of what I'm giving them and only wasting 20. Whereas even in a green field, you're still technically wasting about 40 to 50% of what you plant. So that's just another reason you're getting more, you're getting more bang for your buck, no pun intended, but you are, you're getting more out of our supplement feed program than you, than you actually are getting out of your forage. And so it's just, it's a, it, it's a well-rounded diet. I mean, think about it. We, we like to use the, the buffet concept and, and that's why we sell a mixture of grains and not just one grain. If I just sold roasted soybeans, it would be great. I mean, a roasted soybean is a phenomenal bean. I mean, it has, so much in it but look steak's great right i love ribeye but if i ate ribeye every day i mean at some point i'm like eh. i mean i'm gonna take a bite but i'm gonna move on well and Where you'd we, be missing something out of your diet too that's right that's right and so we we add this whole this this well-rounded approach and that's why we use multiple grains and that's why we say yeah yeah plant. i mean because the one thing about forage is that is wonderful is forage and, and a lot of the, 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 the fields that you plant, they are great digestion aids. They have great fiber sources in them, which help them break down these, these lean ingredients that we're offering. So it, it's a big picture, man. It's, it's not just one thing. We just know that you really see using a really good uh, feed supplement program on your property, you will see greater return on what you're trying to achieve. If, if the, if the budget's there and the expenditure's there and, and the desire is there, you will see a greater return. Stephen, are there problems with any supplemental feeds like this that are, you know, going to cost the landowner, I mean, whether that be animals or setups? I mean, where do you see waste occurring? Yeah, absolutely. And that is very much a potential problem that a landowner really needs to make sure they think about going into it because I, I see it all the time both from the type of feeder, the animals. And so one thing that we, we always want to make people aware of and understand is our feed's probably more weather resistant than most feeds, significantly more weather resistant than just a traditional protein pellet. But if the feed gets wet, it's, it's going to cause a problem. Now, a little bit sour feed, deer still eat it. I mean, unless it's just straight up rotten and rank. They are still kind of eat if it gets damp, you know, but, 
the main part you need to focus on if you're going to use a trough feeder you know making sure that trough feeder has a good four-sided roof a lot of mistakes i see a lot of feeders i see on property they built an a-frame roof but they they built it to the edge of the of the trough on the sides and so they basically only built a two-sided roof it's got to cover all four sides to keep from you know wind blowing water in on your feeder you know the pros and cons to a trough feeder let's just go with the trough feeder is you know trough feeder really any non-target species squirrels crows raccoons even hogs they can get in it and you're feeding animals other than deer but for example, raccoons, raccoons will tend to get up in the feeder and eat it versus rake it on the ground. My greatest you know, negative customer experience I have is when a raccoon just goes to town on a feeder and, and piles it up on the ground and it rains and then there's this huge pile of just nasty, rotten, spoiled feed. That'll really turn a guy off quick. So the trough, the, 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 I tend to see raccoons not rake it on the ground, but you are still feeding raccoons. But and then you take a gravity feeder. I mean, I'm a big fan of gravity feeders. I think it's a good gravity feeder can be the best of all worlds. And what I mean by that is if it stays dry, if it doesn't have any leaks in it, because again, water getting into a gravity feeder can really wreak havoc. I mean, you're basically going to spoil what's in there and it's not going to be fun cleaning it out. Uh, done it many a times. It is not a great experience, but you want to make sure with a trough feeder, a lot, I mean, sorry, a, a gravity feeder, a lot of times manufacturers, they'll build gravity feeders that are, are very easy for a raccoon to climb up on. And that's when things really go south. And so um, one of the things I look for with gravity feeders, other than just making sure it's nice and tight, no, no opportunities for water to leak in creases and things, is looking for legs, the legs of the feeder that are, are you know, not close to the tubes and, and are not bolted. Like bolted legs, it's basically a ladder for a raccoon. So uh, you're looking for single piece legs on a gravity feeder. A lot of manufacturers will, you know, it's for the sake of shipping and economics and efficiencies and, and logistics to make it into a small of package as possible. I get it. But anytime there's a feeder that has legs on it that have to be screwed together, those screws are, a, it is a step for a raccoon. And a raccoon is brilliant. And a raccoon will, will wreak havoc on a gravity feeder. They'll rake it all on the ground. And then you'll get spoilage, obviously. And then sometimes the tubes are too low. The actual feeding tubes are too low. And a hog, you know, in a lot of areas in Alabama, we, we have a, a challenge with hogs. And they'll, they'll get up there and be able to rip that, that tube off. Or, or the, feeder, the, gra the gravity feeder is just kind of cheaply made and a hog could can literally break the legs off or knock the feeder over. And so those things could, could definitely create some, some negative aspects. And so always look for ways when you're looking for feeders that, you know, quote unquote, raccoon proof or hog proof type feeders, because those are the two things that could create a negative experience for you. And then it's making sure your, your feed stays dry because again, spoil feed is just wasted money. And so that's, that's what I see mostly in, in, in my world. Tracking you back to the recommendation of, of how many feeder sites, you know, based on your acreage, is there a downside to having more feeding sites? I mean, for the deer, is there a downside? Obviously for the landowner, that's going to mean just takes you longer to fill them up, but, yeah. but is there a downside for the deer? No, there's absolutely no downside. There's just, there's just some, some practical issues uh, from, from a standpoint of, of cost. 
mm-hmm. both from, you know, the amount of, look, if the feed's out there, the deer are going to eat it. Like you don't have to worry about putting feed out and the deer not eating it. If the deer don't eat our feed, I hate to tell you, but you do not have deer on your property right. uh, because we, de- we designed this feed to not only be consumed, but to be consumed in a way that the deer are going to grow big. So if they're not consuming the feed on your property, you may, you may really want to check whether or not you have them, but no, it's not. But the reality is, is the more feeders you have, the, the more time it's going to take and, and the more feed you're going to go through. That's the most negative aspect, but it's, it's worth it. Like guys, if you really want to grow and have an awesome property from, from a deer standpoint and, and it's the size of deer, you're going to have to put some effort into it and some investment into it. But no, you're not. You're not going to overfeed deer, especially once a deer reaches that nutritional level that I was talking about. They'll go back to saying, I'm full. I'm good. You know, it's just like eating a, like, like we talked about, a, a ribeye and potatoes versus eating a cheeseburger from McDonald's. They're both good. We love them both. But the cheeseburger from McDonald's is processed and it just doesn't have as much nutritional value. And you tend to overeat because your, your body is wanting more and more and more because it's not enough to survive even though you're eating a lot of feed, a lot of cheeseburgers. Right. Where once you start eating a good, healthy meal and your body responds to it, you'll go back to just eating well. And, and so the only thing I recommend on the whole feeding deal is study your land and how it's laid out to hit travel corridors, but it needs to be free choice. It's, it needs to be free choice because they need to eat when they want, how much they want, and when they want, and how often they want. Uh, I am not a fan, and I, I strongly discourage any kind of spin feeder when it comes to trying to grow deer. Now, spin feeders are great during the season. They're great. To, they're great to just feed deer and give them, you know, give them a treat, get them drawn into an area, keep them coming back. But the mechanics of a spin feeder, you, even if you set it on its highest setting it's not going to, to throw enough feed out to actually make a difference. And so the number of feeders, man, the more the merrier, but look, there's a budget and, and I see it all the time. Guys come out the gate hot and they're excited and man, the deer are just pounding the feed and they're excited and they get about eight months in or a year and a half in and they look at that feed bill and they're like, holy cow, I'm spending a lot of money on feed. And so, you know, you got, you, you know, your situation, you know, your, your budget and, you know, look, at the end of the day, we're feeding deer, guys. I get it. Like, we're not feeding an orphanage. It's just supplemental income, and we want to be sensitive to that, and we want to we want to have a reality that set in of this is – we're feeding deer. And that's why I always encourage my guys on the front end to, hey, what's your budget? And let's find a budget. Let's, and that's why I call it a program. I always say, let's build a program. Let's build a, let's build a program based on your needs because the one thing I always strongly suggest people, instead of – feeding and feeding and feeding and then till you get into an uncomfortable financial situation let's put in a program to where look fill your feeders up and when they're empty they're empty and then refill them on on that uh, intentional date that we set like fill them up once a month and when they're gone it's gone or fill it up twice a month and when it's gone it's gone so that you have some long-term stability in your feeding program both from my standpoint and from your standpoint because look the worst thing ever I see, I have seen this. It's the worst thing ever is a guy feed and feed and feed and feed and really start to see some awesome results. I mean, big bucks showing up every day to eat multiplies that. I mean, you'll get to where you'll see the, the bucks will just bed down near the feeding station, right? They just, they'll just bed down, just 
right over in the bushes because it's theirs now. And, you know, they're protecting it. But you're feeding, you're seeing, you're growing a big buck. I mean, you've got five big bucks showing up every day. Oh, this is awesome. You know, you get close to it, it working out and you really put yourself in a, a pretty difficult financial position because you're in, you're in, you're in. And all of a sudden, I mean, it's just like anything else. That big buck showed up every day. Where's my steak? Where's my steak? I got my steak. I got my steak. Oh, wait, the steak's, and, he, and the guy stops feeding because he run out of money or whatever. He just, he got in a bind. He, he got in over his head. And he's the, the big buck is like, where's my steak? I'm just going to hang out here. Maybe my steak could be here tomorrow. And the next day, no feed. And the next day, no feed. Eventually, all that work that you put in, that buck's going to leave because he's going to realize, man, my food source dried up. I got to go find another food source. And that's the worst thing that can happen. So I'm always very sensitive on the front end of starting the program to, to really use that fancy word of, Let's build a feed program for you versus just buy my deer feed because that's that's not what I want. I want to serve you the best I can, not sell you. And so we got to take that into consideration when we start talking about the amount of feeders you have and the amount of feed that you're going through. Well, right out of the gate, the most common question that we get, whether it's from landowners we're talking to when we're working on, uh, they've just purchased a new track. Hunters across the board, they want to know what's the best protein for deer antler growth. And I understand you got a little something that's kind of counter to what most people think when it comes to protein. Tell, tell me about, in your mind, what's the best, what's the best protein for deer antler growth? The, the best protein is, is actually not protein at all. There are so many things that are more important than protein. Uh, protein is important. It's just not number one on the list. And to put that into uh, practical thinking or logical terms is what most people don't realize, especially for bucks during the growing season, which again is a misconception that so many people have. I mean, I run into people all the time who start feeding in June. Now, the perspective I give is, is I'm in Alabama, I'm in the South, I'm in that region, and it changes as you move south and north in the country. So we're really focused on this region of greater Alabama into Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi. And people start feeding in June and they've lost such a significant part of the growing season. So a deer can grow its antlers for about 200 days a year. And the day the antler drops off that deer's head is actually technically day one. And, and that's usually in March. And so getting people to understand first and foremost, you need to start feeding sooner than what you've been told is the first thing I try to get people to understand. But the other thing that they don't realize is that during antler growth, a buck's number one need is digestible energy, not protein. Protein is actually third on its on the list of what a buck needs. Uh, it needs digestible energy, it needs phosphorus, and it needs protein to really maximize antler growth. And so digestible energy usually comes in the form of fat, not protein. And so that's really where I kind of shake things up in the, the world of antler growth and deer growth is the level of fat that I offer. And then also it's the same thing for, for mom, the doe. I mean, what another thing people don't realize unless they're in it 
is that the doe, the mama deer has 51% of the genetic potential of the bucks. So you need a healthy, genetically superior doe on your property. And even more so, you need her to be healthy and have a, a healthy milk supply. And because again, there's also studies out there that show that if a, if a buck fawn gets a quality milk supply from its mama in its first 17 days, the way it performs and its growth and its how its genetics come to life are significantly greater than if a, a buck fawn that has a mama that's, that's not very healthier or have a milk supply. And again, that milk supply, a lot of that milk supply comes from saturated fat, not protein, not anything else. And so we are big fans of fat content. And, and then the other thing that I always talk about when it comes to protein is you can give an animal, you, you can give humans, it, it's across the board, deer, whatever you're talking about, you can give them protein and that's great. But if you'll give them the things that build protein, that where its body can create that protein, which is amino acids, it's that much better. So we focus on fat content and the number of amino acids that we can give an animal for it to build its own protein, which is a significantly more useful and productive protein than just a quote unquote lab protein or just a pure protein from, from a grain standpoint. Yeah. It's so, a complete protein, right? I mean, we're not, yeah. you know, some proteins when you, when you see that listed on a package, whether it's something you're looking at uh, in the grocery aisle or, or you're looking at a feed bag, you know, that protein, a gram for gram is not the same necessarily mm-hmm. to other types of protein. So what you're telling me is that it's more important to have a complete protein when you're, when you're actually talking about mm-hmm. protein and that's the yeah. amino acid profile. Yeah. And look, our, our feed has a huge amount of protein in it. It's, we just achieved it a different way than mm-hmm. most feed companies. And that's kind of the key. And that's why people are seeing results. And that's, that's the angle we took that kind of made us different from really everybody else um, that's out there. Next thing on the list for most people is they ask about supplements. So when I'm thinking about protein for deer and feed for deer, and then we start to get into supplements and we look at minerals and things of that nature, they want to know what's the best in that arena. So do you guys combine the supplement side, the the minerals and whatnot with your, your actual feed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, minerals and vitamins are very important. That's what you're saying with phosphorus, right? I mean, that, that would be considered a supplement. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'll run down kind of how we tackle that. So first of all, how we tackle the, the the minerals and the vitamins in our feed is, again, if you look at our feed, which we hadn't discussed, that our feed is a, is a mixture of whole grains, roasted soybeans, roasted peanuts, corn, and then there's a traditional pellet in there. And we use that pellet for, for fiber and really nothing else, even though there is a mineral pack in there, which is great. We start with our vitamin and mineral pro- profile within the grain. So we, we offer this whole grain that still has all of the, the micro and macro nutrition that's in it versus a traditional pellet where, you know, they sucked all the good stuff out of that grain, sent it to the food industry, and what was left is sent to the animal industry. And then the animal industry, we, we try to pack it back full of different types of minerals and vitamins and digestive aids and enzymes and all that crazy stuff to make this quality deer pellet. Whereas we just said, look, let's, let's just 
feed them where it started. Let's, let's take a whole grain approach, just like in a human diet. When you go more of a holistic, a holistic diet is significantly more healthy than a processed diet. Right. And so most deer feed out there is a processed diet where we're just taking a holistic diet approach. But then we go in and we actually put two coatings on our feed, a liquid coating and a powder coating. And the liquid coating really helps the powder coating stick to the feed. And, and in that coating is where we add all the over the top extra stuff, especially three of the four uh, main focuses, which is calcium, phosphorus, and magnesium. Uh, the, the fourth one is salt, but we don't, we don't add any salt to our feed because really the, the industry uses that as a cheap filler. And, and deer need salt, but they don't need as much as the industry puts in there. So uh, we, we have some salts in our liquid coating, but they're more complex salts, which we won't really dive into that today. But, but mainly our coatings is where we add the extra vitamins and minerals. We add uh, extra amino acids, the amino acids that we don't find in the legume family greens that we use, which is soybeans and peanuts. Um, we add a sweetener, but the really cool thing about our sweetener is uh, it's not like a molasses. It, 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 it never gets sticky. It never gums up. I mean, deer love molasses coated feed, but the, but the practical drawback to that is it tends to clog feeders. It attracts a lot of insects and, you know, just in a human wet, human day, it's just not uh, very feasible from, from a feeding standpoint where our sweetener uh, doesn't do that. And then a kind of a sciencey thing that, again, I, I don't know that we want to go into today, but it's up to you guys is uh, it's a blood flow accelerator, which is basically it opens the red blood cell. And when that happens, it allows for quicker, more efficient absorption of the nutrition that we're giving them. So the protein that we're approaching is just, it's just different. It's, it's more of a holistic approach and, and an amino acid which comes from the legume family approach. And then the vitamin and mineral approach again is the holistic approach. And then we add three of the top four that, that a deer really needs to thrive. Yeah. And so what I'm hearing you say is it's just gram for gram, your protein is different. If, even if you had the same amount of protein as, as say a deer pellet, um, mm -hmm. your protein is just completely different. It's the difference between, you know, eating 20 grams of sugar and eating 20 grams uh, 20 grams of carbohydrates in the form of sugar and mm. 20 grams of carbohydrates in the form of vegetables. Same amount yeah. of carbohydrate, but completely yeah. different nutritional profile. Yeah. And we, and we do so in a way that kind of force feed them. Cause if you think about it, vitamins and minerals, they're, they're no different with animals as they are, say our kids or even us, we have to really intentionally force ourselves to consume the amount of vitamins and minerals that we need. And, and a deer is no different. Even, you know, you see guys who have, who create mineral sites on their property and, you know, a deer will dig a crater there where, where you did that. But if you did a study of the deer that are doing that, it's deer that they're, they're forced to, they're, they're so malnourished, but a healthy deer, just, he's good. He's like, I don't, I don't need that. And, and we all know just like in deer or a show dog, you know, a, a world-class sporting dog, a horse, athletes let's let's just take a you know let's just take a uh um an offensive alignment or defense alignment the university of alabama they have they don't just have what they need they have gone above and beyond what they need and their genetic potential is seen 
And so when it comes to vitamins and minerals, which are very important in antler growth and very important in the overall health of the deer, we do things to force them to consume not just what they need, but above and beyond. Because it's like a kid in broccoli. They don't really want it, but you put a little cheese on it, he'll eat it. And right. it's the same thing with deer. We, we mix these vitamins and minerals with the sweetener and with you know, roasted peanuts and roasted soybeans, which have a great aroma and a great taste. And we're getting deer to consume more vitamins and minerals than what they would naturally want to do. And therefore seeing the result in their, in their genetic potential that they have, which i.e. Is, is bigger antlers, also bigger bodies, mama with a lot of milk and she's healthy. So she's having, you know, a healthy deer will have twins every year. If you're, if you're seeing doe on your property, only have a single uh, fawn, she's not healthy. And a super healthy doe will have triplets. So we're just trying, we're just creating an environment that forces that on them. And that's where you see the return on the investment of a feed program. So for a normal average guy, I mean, what should we expect or what should we be spending, you know, per acre to grow these big deer? Yeah, I mean, I think if we if we break it down, like what, we, what we've talked about, how we want to position our feeders and how many we want to put on a property and how much feed. I mean, I think realistically, if, if you break it down to for 50 cents to a dollar an acre, I believe you can make a significant impact on your property. Actually, I know you can. I've, I've done it too much. I've been on too many properties. Heck, I've sold too much feed at this point. Uh, I've, we've probably sold over 5 million pounds of feed to date. I need to go look at that number, actually. I, I feel confident in saying we've put over 5 million pounds of feed on property. And I think, you know, based off of those property sizes and the consumption rates and what we see in our customers return and, and their level of satisfaction for 50 cents to a dollar an acre, you can make a huge impact on your property and it will be very worth it. That's less than a lot. I see a lot of people spend on corn every year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, it's because of the strategy in which you do what we've just explained and how to step into it. And you'll see a big difference. I think. We talked about raccoons and hogs being a problem, but I mean, are there any problems with the feed itself? You, you talked about not wanting it to get wet, but what do you guys, do you guys do anything different to prevent problems with the feed itself? Yeah, I think the, I think the big difference that we took is the problem I saw as a hunter and as a, as a developer and as a guy just in, in the industry and, and wanting to really make a difference is a couple of things. One, the biggest problem I saw was you don't see this type of feed at market in the stores because really it's a high-end feed. It's, a, it's expensive ingredients. And if a distributor and then a retailer, a store needs to make money, I mean, you're looking at big cost. And that was one of the reasons why we built the company direct to consumer and, and really just kind of word of mouth. I'm going to help you. And then you tell your buddy about us and, and we're going to help them. In, in the meantime, we're going to cut all the costs. We're going to cut, cut distributor costs. Look, this feed, I mean, there's, this is a dynamite feed, but it's in a white bag. I mean, no fancy graphic bags. Just, we, we peeled back all that stuff to sell a really quality product for as low a price possible because what I saw is, one, anytime you see any kind of feed like this in a store, it's really expensive. And you only find it during hunting season, which, as we talked about, like, the deer are not growing their antlers during hunting season. Who cares about protein percentage during hunting season? Really, all you really need during hunting season is fat and energy. They're burning a lot of energy, and we need to keep the fat on them, so let's pump the fat to them. 
And so this, this high quality feed you, you see and it's marketed and these stores only carry it during hunting season. Well, it's not doing what it's designed to do. And so that was a big problem we saw. Is I wanted to solve the problem of giving a guy a quality feed when he needed it, which is March through September, not October through February. And, and then the other thing was just the price point is we believe we are selling a high-end feed. We didn't cut any corners. It's not a bunch of byproduct in a bag with with some vitamins and some digestion aid, right? It's, it's the whole grain, a quality feed for a really good price because of our direct-to-consumer model. That, that, that was the two problems that we really were chasing is getting them the feed when they actually needed it and getting, them, getting it to them at a price that they could buy enough to make a difference. I mean, that's the other thing is a guy go in and buy a $20, $25 bag of feed and it, it ain't too long before they're like, ah, ooh, man, I can't afford this. And they've never fed their deer enough to make a difference. Right. So we wanted to put it in a position where you could feed your deer the amount of feed they needed for it to make a difference and it be affordable to do so. Well, Stephen, you've covered a lot of ground today. And I really like what you said at the beginning of the show, you know, that this is not a, uh, a magic bullet. You still need to be concentrating on habitat and improving vegetation that's on your property, planting some forage crops, but a supplemental feeding program can be part of of your your wildlife management plan for folks that are interested in in growing bigger deer and you've done a good job explaining that today if folks want to look more into grip feed company like we talked about you guys you don't even have a website so i guess they need to reach out to you directly what's the what's the best way to contact you and and learn if this is a good fit for their property and and maybe come up with a supplemental feeding program for them yeah, absolutely. And, and and I don't want your listeners to kind of be wigged out about the fact that in this day and age, we don't have a website. It was pretty intentional because uh, again, we, we, we approached this in a way of really helping an individual person and then the next person, next person. So don't let the fact that you can't Google us yet and see us because, and the reason we haven't done that to date is because it just took off and and man, we're just, we sell feed left and right. And we're, we're a small company, but we do a lot with a little. And so the best way to get me is just, you know, reach out to me, you know, shoot me an email at Stephen at feedyourdeer.com. That's Stephen at feedyourdeer.com. And Stephen is with a V or just call me 205-335-8778. We make our feed in the greater Birmingham, Alabama area, you know, Chelsea to be specific. And so really service about a four hour radius of our shop in, in, in the suburbs of Birmingham, Alabama. That's awesome. And since you brought that up, I mean, you, you mentioned being in a white bag, but I assume you, you sell in bulk. Is it, is it sold all bagged in bulk or, or how, how do you actually get the feed to the landowner? Yeah, we'll sell you whatever you want. As long as our one caveat with our company is we sell by the ton. And so, but, it, but we, most of the feed is sold in 50 pound bags. So it's a 40, 50 pound bag pallet, but we sell a pallet at a time. That's, that's the one niche. And, and, but man, we'll do it in super sack, which a super sacks is just, it's a big bag that's got 2000 pounds of feet in it versus, you know, 50 bags, you know, or 40 bags with 50 pounds in it, man, we'll do an auger truck. I mean, I'm, we're actually sending a, 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 an auger truck to one of our customers this week, full auger truck. The one thing I'll say about that is what I, what I have seen is, is yeah, people like to maybe save a little bit of money if they get it in bulk or, you know, more bulk situation. But what I have seen, I just give your listeners a heads up and, and so they need to really pay attention is most of the people who wanted it in bulk they got it in bulk and they realized 
ah, I don't really have a mechanism in place to handle this feed well. And so the 50-pound the, the bag it tends to still be the best way to handle feed on your property, even if you're buying a lot of feed, unless you have a system in place to handle and move and fill your feeders with bulk feed. But we'll do whatever's best for you. I mean, we really are. We're not a custom feed company by no means, but we make our feed. We, we make the feed. This is not, we're not a distributor. We, we, we buy our ingredients. We mix it. We coat it. We bag it. So there's some flexibility there to, to meet our customers' needs. And so just give us a call or shoot me an email. And like I said, not a sales pitch, but we'll build a program for you to best fit your needs and ultimately to, for you to see that term, the, the ROI, the return on your investment in your property uh, with the health and size of your deer herd. Steven, I've really enjoyed talking with you about this and I'm looking forward to having you back on as we get closer to hunting season, talk a little bit more about attracting deer with feed, yeah. but we'll have to save that for another show. Until then, man, uh, stay safe out there and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks guys. I really appreciate the opportunity to kind of share our story and and what we've learned. And uh, we're grateful for that. And, you know, we'll help your listeners any way possible. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us this week. Appreciate you guys listening. If you'd like us to send you the show, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. And we'd love to hear any show ideas you'd like to see us cover. So again, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. And please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, any podcatcher. We're available on all of them. We appreciate the support. We'll see you guys next week. This week's shows were brought to you by Joe Baia and Clint Flowers, members of the top producing team at National Land Realty, the fastest growing and most innovative land brokerage in the nation. With hunting season right around the corner and interest rates at historic lows, now is a great time to buy or sell land. If you want to learn more, shoot us an email at pros at landhunting.com or call us at 855-NLR-LAND. And also brought to you by Bay County Armory. Building an AR-10 or AR-15 can be a daunting task. Don't let the feeling of overwhelm stop you from having the exact AR you want. Give Bay County Armory a call at 850-832-2238 or check them out online at baycountyarmory.com. And also brought to us by Alabama Black Belt Adventures and their new coffee table book, Black Belt Bounty. Celebrates the traditions of hunting and fishing so deeply embedded in the folks who get to call the Alabama Black Belt home and the folks who enjoy. It's got unbelievable writing from award-winning writers, excellent photography, and some really awesome recipes from some of Alabama's nationally recognized celebrity chefs. If you want to pick up a copy, just go over to the Alabama Black Belt Adventures website at alabamablackbeltadventures.org slash black belt bounty and also brought to you by wildlife management solution the experts at wildlife management solutions can guide you on selecting the best forage for your soils and goals so give them a call at 877-400-8089 or check out their website with more information and a full dealer list at productsforwildlifemanagement.com and also great days outdoors the south's finest hunting and fishing magazine pick up your copy wherever magazines are sold or check them out at greatdaysoutdoors.com